Welcome to Sports Beat KC, the Kansas City Stars Daily Sports Podcast. It's Thursday, February 16th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. How about the timing of the parade? Yeah, it was overcast and chilly, but at least it wasn't icy like it was in much of Kansas City the day after. On today's Sports Beat KC, columnists Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell share their impressions of that march down Grand but more importantly, speak to what the 2022 season meant for the Chiefs and how it will impact things going forward. After the first Super Bowl victory for Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and company, the Chiefs were in good position to run it back, and they did. They got to the Super Bowl before falling to Tampa Bay. This time, the feeling is more the same. The Chiefs, because of the way they put together this roster, appear to be in good shape heading into the 2023 season. We cover that and many other topics, so... Let's get started. Well, hello, gentlemen. Um, Vahe and Sam are with us, and uh, I missed the parade. So, I to start off with, I need I need the info. I need the um, the update. What what did I miss? What were the highlights? And um, and and you know, now that it's you know freezing uh, temperatures, I slipped on my driveway this morning getting the newspaper. Oh, what what a um, uh, what fortuitous timing for, you know, for Kansas City to have this on Wednesday and not Thursday, the day we're recording this. So, what what do you, uh, what, what what did I miss? What were the let's, highlights? Let's go right to that, Blair. Just because, as I recall, the, the last parade was about twenty degrees colder than yesterday, or and twenty five, thirty degrees colder, whatever it was, and we were up on the rooftop of Messinger Coffee trying to sort of uh, narrate the Rose Bowl parade or whatever it was we were doing. And and uh, I dare say the amateur status uh, might have shown up, at least in my work. And um, but it, in hindsight, I wonder if we didn't slip off the roof. Um, it was it was pure ice up there. And uh, I guess more pertinent to what we're talking about today. Um, you know, I think Sam and I got a little different view this time. We were down uh, in, in Crown Center. Um, Maybe we got seven, eight rows back, Sam, uh, at at our best, enough to to see more of the interaction interaction of crowds with players than to really see players. But we got a good view at some of the buses, and um, of course the uh, the the ultimate bus coming in at the end with uh, Travis and his mom, uh, Donna up there, and Patrick on the back with the uh, the Lombardi, and maybe with a beverage, um, and. I don't know that it, it, it we've had a couple of these now, so it's a little hard to, to gauge, you know, what it was just the same kind of emotion. I, I think it was to me that Royals parade in 15 was the one that still felt the most just uh, ecstatic. Uh, these certainly felt like great celebrations though. I, Sam, I'm, I'm going on and on. I wonder what you felt yesterday. Yeah, I, I, to just to be honest, I think uh, the Royals or the Royals parade was a much better setup for the fans than the Chiefs parades have been. Um, the the Royals parade, I, I I assume we all remember. I mean, it felt like the players were right on top of you because they're in cars, not double decker buses. Their cars are labeled with their numbers, so you know what players coming. You see them and their family, and that player gets uh, his individual moment. With the with the Chiefs parade, they're in these double decker buses. They feel further away from the fans, and they feel that too. So they end up getting out of the the buses a lot of the times, and 
what's interesting about football is these guys wear helmets. So not a lot of the fans recognize what player is, is coming near them. Um, it was the, you know, the, the moments that Vahe and I were out there, which was about an hour, I would say of the parade. Maybe we saw most of the buses come by, um, obviously the stars officer at crown center. So we'd spent some time in there beforehand before just deciding to come out. Um, it was amazing how many people were like, Oh, I think that's so-and-so and, you know, Vahe and I would have like, no, that's, that's actually this guy. <laughs> that's not Travis Kelsey. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, every bus that turned the corner, is that Patrick? Is that Patrick? And then all of a sudden he's by you um, because he's at the back of the bus. He's not visible when the bus is driving towards you. It's Travis Kelsey at the front of that bus. So that's what they did last time. That's what they did this time. I thought maybe we'd see a little bit of an improvement with that. Um, but crowd wise, I mean, the crowd was really into it. I definitely thought it was a bigger crowd, probably weather induced bigger crowd than it was the first time the Chiefs won this. Um, but I I I think that they could help the, the the whole identification process out to try and better feel that connection between fans and players to at least know who who's passing them at the time. It's a good point. I, I wonder if it it would be too much to ask for a player to wear a jersey over every, you know, all of everything he has to wear to keep himself warm. Yeah. Um, just to have some number indication because that's, yeah. that's the fans know football players, right? Yeah, yeah. or either either uh, that's I think either that Blair or, or you have some you know decals on the windshields of the buses that say what numbers are in that bus, just something that sort of indicates to fans here's here's who you're about to see right now. And of course, when they got to stage on stage, uh, I, Travis Kelsey, of course, was Travis Kelsey, and um, he'll he'll try to one up himself every time, right? And he he did that. He did that this time. I thought the best, single best line that was delivered by Brett Veach, and um, yeah. the um, basically hold was he holding up the trophy and said, "Yeah, this is what uh, I read." I read this. I think in one of you guys' stories. Uh, uh, this is what we called a rebuilding year in Kansas City. This, or yeah, this is what a rebuilding year looks like right here. Right. It was funny because Brett had kind of a. I don't know if you agree with this, Sam, but I thought he had kind of a deadpan delivery, just like that was part of it, like. Yeah, hey, this is a, this is what it looks like, and it wasn't. He's not really a bombastic guy uh, in that way. I would like to have seen Kelsey use the same line and hold it up. It would have come off a, a lot more uh, sort of shrill and loud. But Brett's was very effective the way he delivered it. I thought it was pretty clear that uh, I mean, every athlete uses everything possible they can to get an edge and everybody wants to say that nobody believed in them. I think that's the the edge that a lot of these athletes cling to. The chiefs really took that to the extreme. I mean, they were the third favorite to win the super bowl this year. They were not an outlier team that, you know, it's, it's, it's not Leicester city winning the, uh, the EPL with the chiefs winning the super bowl last weekend, but the chiefs <laughs> certainly made it seem like that on stage. It's really funny. You say that, Sam, that became, like that started snowballing, right? As the season went on, it was like some people don't think they're going to win the AFC West and Buffalo's going to be the team. And there's, you know, maybe the Chiefs aren't the best team in the Super Bowl. And by the end on, on stage yesterday and probably into the Super Bowl week, right? It's the haters. Nobody said we had a chance, you know, re rebuilding. Rebuilding was even a stretch, right? I mean, I think we all thought they might take a step back. I don't think anybody was saying that. Uh, Boy, they had to blow it all up and start over, start over with with this group. So 
it it that's a whole thing in itself. And each of us has written about it in some way before. But the way an athlete can internalize uh, things and contour those sorts of things to their purposes, it it really is an interesting thing. And at some point, perception becomes reality, where they're just like, you know, you said we couldn't do it. And so we're going to show you, okay, I, we weren't really saying that, but, you know, great that you showed us. It's so anyway, it, 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 no doubt that was a uh, part of the, part of the big theme yesterday. I listened to Travis and Jason Kelsey's podcast yesterday, which was recorded before the parade, but Travis had even said something during the podcast um, saying nobody, because Jason uh, read out loud the lines that he that Travis had used post game, and one of them was like, "None of you guys thought we'd be here." And so Travis explained that he's like, "Yeah, no, nobody picked us to win." And Jason was like, "No, I don't think it was nobody. Um, I still <laughs> think some people were, were picking you guys to win." Um, I mean, listen, I I thought the Chiefs were not going to be as good as they were the year before, and but I still thought they had a chance to win the Super Bowl. I mean, that's what we consistently wrote was the reason this Tyreek Hill trade was a good trade was because they still had a chance to win it all. And they had a chance to win it all, not just this year, but they helped their chances to win it all in the future, but without depriving them themselves of the shot to win the Super Bowl this year. So I don't think any of us, at least on this call, thought that the Chiefs didn't have a chance, but yeah, I, I mean, admittedly, I did not think they'd be the number one offense in the league this year. You know, guys, remember this goes back. This whole element kind of goes back a little bit to what we saw with Andy in that in his dorm room in in uh, uh, St. Joe when he got asked, you know, maybe for the fourth or fifth time about, well, don't you think the AFC West is going to be a lot better? And and really for Andy, it was like the equivalent of thumping his chest. You know, and again, it's pretty nuanced coming from him, but him saying, you know, well, you know, we can either hide under the desk or we can fight it. And, you know, we're really not chopped liver out there. That was like him saying, we're pretty damn good and I can't wait to show it. And it, 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 it's just interesting uh, how different people, you know, use their pitch, use their tone to convey the point that uh, uh, that they kind of held inside in some ways through the through the year. But my favorite part of that moment, Blair, was that you asked a really good question about that, and he gave you a really <laughs> bad answer. Somebody didn't ask a good question, and they got that answer instead. Uh, Blair was like scowling as Andy's answer <laughs> that way. It's a yeah, but but I don't have you know I'm not so proud that I didn't use it repeatedly. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've used it seven times. I didn't even ask it. <laughs> I mean, I was in the room when the when the answer uh, was delivered, so I had that's all that matters. Yeah, Air game all the process, game. all the process. <laughs> Um, and the other thing about it was when he said it, when he when he used the term chop liver, I can remember thinking, I think maybe Vahe and Adam Teicher and maybe one or two others would be old enough to know. Kind of I've heard it before, like in our lifetimes, and the younger people have no idea what chop liver is or what that means. Hey, uh, but but it does, and, and Sam, before you started to go down this road, it does bring up a good point about what we all thought of the Chiefs going into the season. And it's true that all the AFC West teams made big moves. And um, but it, it, I think it, we found out early in the season that those were not going to pay off for them in the ways that their teams thought they were going to pay off. And the Chiefs, um, they did lose Tyreek Hill, and they did 
rely a lot on rookies. And as the season unfolded, adding players like Darius Tony, you know, um, second year player, and um, and if, if it, I don't think it was a rebuilding year, but it was going to be a little bit of a um, retooling, right? They 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 had young players, and um, uh, it was just going to be a little different than it had been in the previous two uh, or three. And yet here they are um, standing at the top at, at the end. So the, the the process was actually amazing. And I had somebody, maybe one of you, one of you guys referred to it, uh, but I've heard this in the last couple of days that, um, that we thought the Chiefs were the best team in the NFL the year they lost the Super Bowl to Tampa Bay. And then maybe last year when they lost to Cincinnati may not have been the best team in the Super Bowl or best team uh, this year in the NFL. Uh, but, you know, it's it's funny how things work. Um, they, they at least in all three of those years since winning the last Super Bowl were among the top three in, in the NFL. And if you're in the, if, you know, if you're in that conversation, you're good enough to, you're good enough to win it. And, and, and they did. That that's the whole reasoning behind the, the the Tyree Kill trade is all you have to do is be in the mix, and the Chiefs proved that when they lost the, the the two that you mentioned, Blair, is that being the best team doesn't guarantee you that you're going to be the the team left standing at the end of the season. I still thought most of the year until Von Miller got hurt that the Bills were the best team. I still think Josh Allen was a little bit different after his elbow injury as well, <clears throat> but things happen in the NFL, and. You know, the, as the Chiefs are, are trying to say that everybody was wrong about them for thinking they might be the second best team in the NFL, really, it's the you know the Broncos should be saying, "Hey, everybody believed in us. You guys, you guys were wrong to believe in us. You guys all believed in us." Um, I mean, the I'm so the sick Chiefs, of all the lovers. <laughs> yeah, this this is for all the lovers, right? So all the uh, the the Chiefs had the hardest schedule in the in NFL history going into the season. They ended up with like the sixth easiest schedule in the NFL this season. So people were slightly wrong about the Chiefs by thinking they might be the second best team. People were really wrong about a lot of teams they played. And that's just the way the NFL season goes. Well, also, Sam, I mean, th this is you and your analytics can can tell me otherwise, but part of the reason that schedule looked different is that that strength of schedule looked different is because the Chiefs won 14 of those games against those teams. I mean, it. It. I, I'm oversimplifying the point, but that is what they faced going into it, and it's ever shifting sands in this, and really week to week dominoes into the next week about how a team is faring and how it's how it's perceived, and um, the Chiefs kind of melted that schedule, right? I mean, they they by being better than they were, and you're right. I mean, to some degree, it's especially in the AFC West, those teams weren't what we thought they might be, um, but at yeah, that's all. I just, just, I just think that's interesting. Hey, this is Blair. There are several ways to access the Star Sports section. Let me tell you about a couple of them. There is Sports Pass. For $12.99 a month, you get unlimited digital access to all the Star Sports content, including beat writing, columns, features, pretty much everything we write. The deal renews monthly until you tell us to cancel. For $159.99 a year, you get everything the Star has to offer digitally, including sports and the e-edition. Go to KansasCity.com and drop down to the bottom of the page where it says start a subscription for more information. Your support has never been more important. As always, thanks for reading and listening. 
I'm, I'm going to read a few uh, stats a little bit later because it's really interesting. Just sort of stuff you wouldn't have thought about in the in the immediate aftermath of the game, but you know, a day or two later, they they're really interesting. But the most important one, and one that Sam you wrote about, is winning a Super Bowl uh, with a quarterback taking up the highest percentage of salary cap um in Patrick Mahomes the team had never won a Super Bowl with a player taking up as much as was it 17 and a half percent or so yeah, is that like 17.2 percent yeah of the salary cap uh that's not good news for the NFL uh for the rest of the NFL trying to catch the Chiefs uh they're the first team to win it with the quarterback taking up this this high percentage what's what's the significance of that yeah I mean I think you know going through it when um because you mentioned it's not good news for the NFL. Initially, you'd look at that and say, hey, it's not good news for the Chiefs. Your quarterback is occupying this percentage of the salary cap because no quarterback had won above like 12.9. Um, a lot had gotten there in the high teens, but none of them had, had won that game. And so, you know, the, the quarterbacks that Chiefs played were all under 5%. Jalen Hurts occupied less than 1%. As a second round salary pick. Cap. Yeah. yeah. So it's just because all of these other teams um, – that they played are allowed to fill out the rest of their roster with talent. So when you, you really dig into the numbers and say, well, how did the chiefs manage to do that? And what really stood out to me is a lot of these other teams have, you know, I referred to them in the column as like middle management type players where they're playing, paying a lot of guys like 4 million, 5 million, 6 million, 7 million. The chiefs don't have many of those guys. Um, I, I think the stat that I had in the column was the chiefs, pay eight players more than three and a half million dollars next year at least that's their cap charge the eagles right now are at 17. um the bills and Bengals are at 15 or 16. i mean they're double the amount that the chiefs have that really speaks to the way the chiefs have acquired through the draft and other means primarily through the draft really cheap talent that also contributes they're they're their draft picks, including their seventh-round picks, aren't just guys that are going to help you out in special teams their rookie years. They managed to find guys with Jalen Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, that contributed right away. And that's the part that I think should be scary for the rest of the league. I mean, they have three guys next year, three starters, with Jalen Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, and Trey Smith, who will be making less than $1 million next year. You know, we knew they had a significant rookie contribution in general, but I, I didn't get to verify this yesterday. But I remember um, somebody of of uh, stature saying that it was the first time ten rookies playing in the Super Bowl was the, the most in thirty three years. I did look at the snap counts, and it was you know seven rookies played ten or more snaps, and Trent McDuffie played as many snaps as anybody seventy five. Um, to Sam's point, I mean that that's all part of the churn from the the Tyree Kill trade, and and also the, I think just the uh, a, a alert philosophical, you know, the, the nimbleness um, with working the curve here and and keep replenishing, keep getting younger, faster, not cheaper exactly, but more financially flexible. So it all it again goes back to the Tyree Kill, how they at in one swoop extended this window by doing that. And yet also kind of refined what they had this year. And so the fallout from that is that they, even though Patrick Mahomes' contract does spike this next year, there's two years in that contract, and it's this next year, and I can't remember the other year where he's going to make like $59 million or something like that. There's two years where the contract spikes. 
they're about to hit one of those this year. They saved themselves by paying the full contract last year. You know, they're able to to move forward the bonus, in which most of his contract is is built around bonuses that can be pushed forward in, in years. They ate the whole thing last year. They could move around some of that money this year. So you look at draft, you know, Pro Football Focus did a chart based on your offseason resources, and it was based on draft picks, um, cap space. The Chiefs are like middle of the pack in cap space. Um, they obviously have more draft picks. Of course, their draft picks are at the end of every round, like they always are because they're a good team. And then your ability to restructure your own contracts to create more cap space. So with those three columns, the Chiefs ranked like 11th in the league in offseason resources. Zero AFC playoff teams rank ahead of them. You know, so the Bengals are behind them. The Bills are behind them. The Chargers are behind them. Every single team that made the playoffs in the AFC ranks behind them on that chart. So the Chiefs were the best team in the league this year, and they have the most resources among any playoff teams going into next year. What should they do with those resources? And I know we've got the draft coming up, you know, in Kansas City. We got a little time before that begins, and we'll have conversations about the draft. But I'm I'm wondering about the future roster makeup here on a team that that used so many of the of, of their draft picks this year, and they've got a slew of them again this time. Um, I, I don't, you know, it seemed like in terms of using your draft, having many draft picks and using them all, it's almost seems to me like a, a one-off, but the same opportunity exists for them in 2023. And I'm not sure, you know, they, they might have a, like a, you know, a first year contract numbers crunch, you know, when it, when it comes to, you know, assuming they use, they don't trade away or use most of the draft picks um, and, and use most of the draft picks. So um, what do we have a, a this, over are we going to have are we going to be overpopulated with first year contract players with this uh, you know with this team yeah i mean the the odyssey of uh, so they need they have to do something about orlando brown first i think that's going to be their most expensive decision whether it's orlando brown or a different decision you know there's not really a free agent market at left tackle that i think they could improve upon what orlando brown brings them i think orlando brown is a much better player than a, a lot of the outsiders give him credit for i think he's a slightly above average left tackle the Chiefs literally just proved what four days ago that you can win with a slightly above average left tackle and an average right tackle. Um, but Wiley's a free agent as well. So they have to, to solve the tackle um spots first. I think they need help along the defensive line as well. Um, those are typically positions that you can't find cheap, solid contributions, um, typically at edge rusher, for example, or at left tackle. You do have to spend to to get those positions. But, I mean, the good news for the Chiefs is I think a lot of their improvement will just come internally. <laughs> we mentioned all of these rookies. Um, it's, it's certainly reasonable to expect that 10 rookies who played in the Super Bowl should be slightly better next year, that Trent McDuffie could be better next year, Jalen Watson, Joshua Williams, Isaiah Pacheco. Um, Sky Moore. I think Sky Moore was better at the George Karloftis was much better the last half of the year than he was the first half of the year. So as much as I, I do think the Chiefs need to make some moves, there these aren't moves that after 2020 you're saying, oh my God, they got to overhaul the offensive line. I don't think the Chiefs are looking at a makeover at any position group. I'm trying to remember what it felt like 
what it felt like their needs were right after they won in three years ago. Um, because of course you sit here and you say, well, exactly what you said, Sam. I mean, we just saw that they can win with this group. I mean, if they, if, if, if everything were somehow in a vacuum, would you feel good about just this exact group coming back? I think you would. Um, but it doesn't I, work I, I do way because they're going to have I, to make concessions. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for, um, you know, the chiefs, it seems like they didn't get away with the run it back thing. They kind of did. They, I mean, they went 14 and one, um, you know, they didn't play that last game. They lost in the super bowl because their offensive line was decimated, but I, I think walking around that locker room post game, the guys who I saw really, really, you know, emotional about that win were the guys who had not won it before. Um, I just saw a lot of emotion from guys that were feeling that feeling for the first time in their lives. And I think there's something to be said for having guys like that in your locker room, for having a Carlos Dunlap in your locker room, a guy who's played 13 seasons, has never won it before. Um, so I, I think there's always benefit. And what's interesting, Blair, this is kind of a, I feel like this is kind of a Blair story, but let's go back and look at the, just the Kansas city championships, um, over the, the past, what decade, what the Royals do in 15, they kept the band together after they won, did not make the playoffs in 16. What did the, uh, the, uh, what sporting Kansas city do in 2014? They kept the group together. They took a significant step back in 2014 after winning the MLS Cup in, in 2013. Um, and obviously the, the the Chiefs fell short, I think, for different reasons, like I mentioned. But I I just think there's some benefit in energizing your locker room with some guys that are trying to get there for the first time. I recall that after beating the 49ers, the, one of the themes going into next year was 20 of the 22 starters were going to were back. Um, they traded uh, Fuller, um, uh, the Kendall Fuller, the the cornerback, and LDT had decided to, you know, to help on the front lines of of COVID. But everybody, that was that's where and we heard a lot of run it back from the parade. But the original run it back was, you know, that was in, after the 2019 Super Bowl, and and the, the Chiefs were, you know, with Mahomes on his rookie contract, you know, that was. Um, that was the idea. They they had everybody coming back from a team that was just you know had a magic carpet ride with you know through the Super Bowl and and look it it worked until you know until the circumstances changed for them in that Super Bowl game. So um, that that may be an exception to to the rule. But uh, Blair, a little different point. Sam said this out loud, and you're probably cognizant of it, but uh, I it hadn't hit me till Sam said it the other day. Um, Two two players, two starters on that offense remain from that first Super Bowl. Just Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. And I think Sam was it was it three on defense. Uh Chris yeah, Jones, Frank Clark, Naughty. Naughty. Yeah, Derek Naughty, who I, I don't think will be back next year. Frank Clark, who very easily could not be back next year, and Chris Jones. Right. So yeah, you could be looking at just three of them um, from the original Super Bowl that are on the team next year. So those those five, three on defense and two on offense, were the five that started all three Super Bowls for the for the Chiefs. Correct, and Andrew um, Wiley, two of them, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. He, he did not start the first one, but started against uh, Tampa Bay. All right, let me let me read a couple of these stats because I thought that was this was interesting from a story. So, thirty four quarterbacks have won a Super Bowl. 
31 of them won in their first Super Bowl appearance, uh, first Super Bowl start. And I just thought that that's really kind of interesting. Uh, the ones that lost, and this is, and this really kind of refers to Jalen Hurts, who had a great game, right? The three quarterbacks who lost in their first Super Bowl but came back and won uh, among them is Len Dawson. Uh, you know, Dawson lost Super Bowl one, came back and won four. Um, uh, Bob Greasy was another one, lost his first Super Bowl, came back and won another one. So uh, it it's like better not lose your first Super Bowl appearance because <laughs> chances are you don't come back and win one. Um, so in, until – now Patrick Mahomes has overcome double-digit deficits in the second half of two Super Bowls. Brady also did that twice. He did it in 10 games, Mahomes in three. They're the only two quarterbacks to ever do that, and they've each done it twice, overcoming a double-digit deficit in the second half. And um, and, the, and the other thing I want to talk about before we, before we broke this up, and, and Vahe, you can, I think you can uh, speak to this, is – where did this Andy Reid retirement stuff come from? You know, all of a sudden, you know, and, until two hours or three hours before the game, you know, nobody nobody considered it. No, he, you know, he must have. He complains about all the press conferences he has to he has to you know uh, endure during Super Bowl week, and I we, one of us was at all of them, and never never came up. It was never an issue, and then all of a sudden, two and a half three hours before the game, you know, Jay Glazer comes out with this report and. Uh, was this just a matter of Andy Reid? You know, he, he's getting all these questions, and, um, and and he tends to speak from his heart. He's he's not always terribly revealing, but when he but when he talks, it comes from the heart. And maybe there was part of him that says, um, you know, I am getting up there in age, and and I it, it is a decision that I have to make, like just like he makes it every year. But I, I don't. There, for us, there seemed to be no reason to believe that there, there was any any merit to the story. And it turns out there's not. But I, I think each of us wrote something about it in the last five or six days. Or and I know Jesse covered it at the parade yesterday. Yeah, I mean, we were we were left to ponder it because all of a sudden it's just out there a couple hours before the Super Bowl from a report from Jay Glazer, and you know, I think we all had the same reaction. Like, you know, okay, ears perked up. The spider sense saying something's not quite right with this. The phrasing was a little funny. Uh, I thought it was a little odd. I, I, I'm not debunking how Jay Glazer, you know, went about it, but I, I would say that that there's when you don't have it on video, you're left with him summarizing a conversation with Andy, and you know everybody can interpret things differently. Um, Andy, uh, you know, three or four times since then has said that. Basically, he got tired of hearing questions about retirement, just kind of said, yeah, you know, I'll have to think about it. What I found funny about that, though, was to your point earlier, Blair, I, I don't remember Andy being asked about retirement once in like the, the eight sessions we saw him in between the, the the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl. So I don't know who was doing all the asking. Um, you know, I, I you do wonder about Andy's age and, and with the age comes, you know, a question of perhaps health. Just don't know about that. So you always have to wonder about that. But other than that, I believe Andy will coach the entire time Patrick Mahomes is playing or he'll, he'll do everything he can if he's if he's of of good health. So, I, I Sam, what did what did you feel like? I think we looked at it the same way, roughly when it when that came out. Yeah, I mean, Andy Reid is 64. Um, you know, Bill Belichick is 70. Pete Carroll, 71. 
I don't think it was was on our radar because there is not. It's, it's pretty evident there's nothing Andy Reid loves more than coaching the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I it, he's waited his entire life to get this guy. Now he has him. It doesn't make sense for for timing for that reason. There's been no signs to any of us that he's any less energetic than than he has been. In fact, this offseason, he had to do more work to overhaul his offense. And also, by the way, it worked. Um, I thought he had the best game plan of his life in the Super Bowl with some of the things he ran. Um, I'd encourage anyone listening for sure to read Jesse's um, Jesse Newell's stories on the two plays and how those came together. Um, I, I, I agree with with both of you guys that it was not like a, a such a common topic that his excuse for was I was tired of answering that question didn't make a lot of sense to me because um, I didn't think he did answer that that question a lot um but the real thing that stuck out to me was Andy Reid spent the entire week trying to make himself not the story it just did not make sense to me why on game day he decided to make himself the story He's, he would certainly know that putting that out there would get a lot of attention. And it just did not, it seemed like the exact opposite thing Andy Reid always tries to do, and particularly last week. Um, Blair, this is a little different point, but it's related. I really believe that Andy gave a pretty good answer to this on the call on Monday. <clears throat> Obviously, he's a he's a intense competitor, but I don't think he, I don't think he thinks about it in terms of um self-glorification or how, how do I, you know, burnish my resume. Right. But, but he loves the, the, he really loves the nitty gritty, the process. And of course he loves it all the more when you have Patrick Mahomes and you can create, you know, the magic he can envision can be created. And even what he can envision can be created. Um, so here they are on the cusp of, you know, now they're at this baseline where they're, they're a, a great and memorable team of an era whatever the word dynasty is, I don't know, but they're that. And now if they win another Super Bowl in this time, I mean, they're going to be in the most rarefied air, right? They're going to be, there's four coaches who've won more than two, four quarterbacks who've won more than two. Uh, I think it's just six franchises that have won more than two. It might just be five. So all those things are right there before them. And this is a long-winded, as usual, way of saying that why would he stop now if all his life, he's worked toward this. Um, so anyway, I think I suppose we know that he's not going to stop now, but it just was it really was a, a kind of an oddity. Yeah, just just a you know something you had to check up on and ask him about. And then again, he you know he he doesn't like answering those questions, but he invited him, right? With the you know, with the sort of the the comment he made on on Sunday. So okay. All right. Great stuff, guys. As always, we will do it again um, sometime. There's too much football to, to talk about. As always, we get uh, um, uh, all kinds of stories coming up. So let's uh, uh, we'll end it here and we'll talk again soon. Thanks to Vahe Gregorian and Sam McDowell for uh, for their participation. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Blair. Thanks, Blair. That will do it for today. Thanks to Randy Mason for producing today's show and to our production staff of Jeff Rosen, Scott Chasen, Money Davis, and George Howard. Hey, you know I appreciate, and we should all appreciate, the great work of our production staff. Today we say farewell to one of those members, George Howard. He's been tremendous in putting together the podcast and our live streams. The last one of those he did was after the Super Bowl earlier this week. Thanks for everything you've done, and trust me, George, you will be missed. Best of luck going forward. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another Sports Beat KC, where we talk sports in Kansas City every day.